Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Wow Ergonomics. Um, it's Friday. It's the end of the week. Uh, how's your week been, Steve? Uh, train delays and wet weather, I think, would probably be the best way to describe describe this week for me. So it's been uh, a challenge. So working at home on a Friday is um, a lot less sort of stressful than the rest of the week's been. So, I mean, it's all, it, it's all relative, isn't it? But a lot of train cancellations and here, there and everywhere, trying to navigate back from London yesterday when Euston was closed. So I saw various towns and cities on the way home trying to get back to uh, to my house so um, yeah yeah it's been a fun week good week thank you without getting political about mm -hmm. it um are a lot of those train cancellations due to the weather or due to uh, uh, stuff well it, we believe it, there was some sort of incident i think which may have contributed to it um but it was a little bit sort of here, there and everywhere, almost sort of planes, trains and automobiles-esque trying to get home. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting when you talk to people, like, there was a few people who I sort of met yesterday at a meeting and they'd all had various problems coming in. So I think it was probably more, more weather than industrial action. But that again opens other questions, doesn't it, as to how are we able how are we not able to cope with with certain factors and and how much is the environment impacting trains and public transport and all that sort of thing so it's a sort of a a broader piece but yeah public transport wasn't kind to a number of us yesterday unfortunately yeah i mean going back a mm. couple of years we talked a lot about transportation and the mm. fact that work you know work was changing people were choosing to work from home and and we said well and we wondered didn't we where whether there was ever going to be a time mm. when actually we'd see the necessity for public transport and transport links to ever need to be as good as i was going to say as good as they were but whether they <laughs> ever, ever were is debatable. debatable but whether there was going to be a real need for for that there to be improvements should we say in public mm. transport because were people ever going to go back to the office we know that a lot of people have gone back to the office yeah um are we it it seems to me from someone that's not using the trains and stuff now like i used to mm. but i i hear from other people that trains are constantly getting cancelled or, or pu public transport is is unpredictable at the best of times mm. are we are we finding ourselves in a in a another new norm where actually people are trying to get back to to offices and 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 go and see things and do you know go to an exhibition and whatever but actually all of it's actually now really hard at the moment mm. i think there's a lot of people sort of out and about moving certainly i mean where I went yesterday is someone I've not where somewhere I've not been before to a certain sort of customer or, or or partner of ours who's who sort of resells our product. So brand new location to me, and got chatting to a couple of people there around you know because the office was really busy yesterday. I mean like standing room only, literally people sort of looking for all little sort of you know um, little places to put a laptop or work and and phones and all that sort of stuff. It was really busy, it was sort of a hive of activity, but I. I like because we do this show and we talk about it i always like to say to people so what are you doing what what does your working week look like and they confirmed what we'd seen a lot of the time 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the office is absolutely jam-packed. Monday and Friday, it's like, you know, the sort of tumbleweed coming through the office sort of moment. So I think I, I still feel as if Monday, Tuesday, sorry, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's very intense traveling. I still feel as if those those two days that bookend the week, Monday and Friday, still seem to be quite quiet. So I think as if it's it's that the middle of the week is really busy. Compact. It's all compacted into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from a from an office and an activity, I guess, around the city centres. And the other two days are just meh. They're just very very quiet. And people, unless they absolutely have to, aren't going into an office and are like we are today working from home, doing those tasks that are more suited to working at home and using those days accordingly. That's really interesting. It'd be really interesting to find out from people out there. So if you're watching this during the week, it'd be interesting to know, is, is that the kind of shape of your week? If you work partly from home and partly in the office, are you are you basing your working week in the office around transportation? Is that how you're doing it so that actually i'm i'm guessing it's different for everybody because it might be dependent upon you know childcare and other things as well but it'd be interesting to know if people were wanted to comment during the week where what is what is defining your week in terms of where you work and is is sort of you know transportation a major part of it i'm sure it is i'm sure it is I did I did do a journey, I think it was on a Monday or a Friday a few weeks ago, which was say very rarely I do because there isn't the appetite for people to see you on a Monday or Friday. But I think what stuck in my mind was is that the train I was due to go on was clearly very empty. So it mysteriously got cancelled and everyone pushed onto the next train that was 15 minutes later. And it started me thinking, I wonder if there's some sort of planning that's going on and they're sort of actively looking, going, that train's really, really quiet. So we'll just cancel that one and we'll just move everyone onto the next one. So again, I, you know, I wonder whether that's something that happens more on a Monday and Friday. I wonder if they, I wonder if some of the longer distance train journeys are less frequent on those days. And if they do try and sort of squeeze and push all those people into into one train rather than sort of spreading them over over two and people just have to accept there's potentially some sort of delay to their journey yeah absolutely um we may or may not have a guest today by the yeah. way well, I, I am in the background trying to get them in to the streaming platform yes um, they are struggling uh but you know we we will keep trying yeah, apparently absolutely. apparently it's telling them that uh, they need to register or something like that. And oh, okay. uh, yeah, and they can see and hear us, but they can't get in. Oh, right. So, you know, um, they keep trying to crowbar and yeah. see see whether they can squeeze through the, the gap in the door. Now, last week was an interesting show, wasn't it? It was. Really good show with Chris Lomas. Excellent, yeah. really, and I was, you know, I didn't sort of go into it too much because obviously he was on the he was on the show with us. But I was really pleased you'd managed to sort of get back in touch with him, and he was able to get on because, you know, like we said, we'd sort of spoke to him first a couple of years ago, um, probably just less than a couple of years ago, wasn't it? And it was really interesting to see how things had sort of moved on. You know, we went when we first sort of spoke to him, his focus was solely around Moldova. 
And then he's naturally being pushed into the Ukraine with everything that's gone on there. And then he's talking about hope for in the UK and Kilimanjaro. And he's just, you know, we started off, he had a huge sort of, a huge task on his hands anyway. And it just seems to have grown and grown and grown. So it, it was amazing to hear. And I had a lot of people sort of comment, not necessarily on the, not necessarily on the post, but a lot of people sort of sent private messages or comments as to how much they enjoyed hearing from Chris, what he's doing, real sort of admiration and, you know, just stunned at the the level of the level of activity that he's doing and how his organization has grown so yeah it was a real delight to have chris back back on the show uh and i know it's kind of sparked conversations with you and people within the industry and 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 probably we're saying more about that in the future yes yeah but actually um I'm hoping that next week on the show we're actually going to talk to somebody else in the industry because who is doing some stuff with charity. So yeah. I, I'm I'm hoping that what we've started here is is kind of the start of people within the industry thinking about how they can give back in different ways. So yeah, that would be that absolutely. would be really good. Um our guest has managed to do it. They've managed to Fabulous. wield the crowbar. As it were, they've cracked the code. They've cracked the crack, code to get in. They cracked the code. They found the train that was running on time, and they managed to get here. So wow. uh, what I'll do is, in order to let them in uh, sufficiently, I've, I'll just remove that banner for a minute, uh, yes. and we we can be joined by Mr. Christopher Allen. Hallelujah. Hello, Christopher. Hello. Here we go. Hallelujah. Sorry about that. That's all right. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, uh, even those of us that think of us as being technology specialists, specialists, really good at technology, still rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> we have that problem every honestly, week. It, we, don't you? Honestly. I mean, we, 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 even when we teach this stuff, teach it, even when we try and advise people on this stuff, we press the button. Someone said to me the other day, can you just take control on Teams? And I said, yeah. And they asked me to do something I'd never heard before. And I said, I'm really sorry. I don't know how to do that. And they looked yeah, at yeah. me like, really you're a consultant how do you know how to do that and i was like and they were talking about something completely different i, was like, I do that all the time sorry hello hello um for anybody that doesn't know chris um perhaps you just start by introducing yourself and just uh, let people know who you are and, th and then we can go back to the rant about technology because i really yeah. want to go there <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah oh dear yeah well, you're getting to know me already um my name is christopher Allen. i run a business consulting firm called Monroe Consulting. Uh, we specialize essentially in helping people and organizations to live work better. That's our strap line. Um, now, I must uh, say at this point as well that I first met Chris when I was facilitating on the Guy Osman podcast. Um, and I <laughs> promised Rick Guy because I've nicked one of his guests to come on to yeah. WOW. <laughs> but I, will, I will push the podcast. So um, if you'd like to hear more about Chris talking to Guy uh, and um, Kim Hutton about culture change and leadership and all of those things. I do highly recommend that you go and listen to uh, the Guy Osman podcast. Uh, that episode um, is out now. Um, so, and we will put the link in so that you can do that. That's a, that's a bit of further reading for you all. Um, if you haven't got homework enough already. With all do we, of, get, uh, do yeah. we get a plug for our show back on his podcast though, just to sort of balance thing up? Do we get some sort of return plug? Uh, you never know. It might happen at some point. That's definitely yeah. right. Yeah. 
Uh, maybe Definitely maybe what we should do, Stephen, um, I think you've ordered the stickers, but maybe we should get some WoW Ergonomics T-shirts yes. made. And it, I'd love to see Guy wearing a T-shirt. I don't think I've ever seen him <laughs> not wearing a shirt. So um... <laughs> You're only saying that because you know he's in Sweden and you can get away with that because he's nowhere near us. He's yeah, right. Country, so. Yeah, but I'm a heavy. But listen, actually, the, let's talk about the technology thing for a minute because that's that is a really important human factors angle. Um, we talk a lot of the time about it in the field of human factors about sort of physical things in terms of the environment, um, desks, chairs, you know, whether whether the lighting's right and whatever. One of the biggest problems in getting anything done and feeling comfortable and whatever is technology and just not being able to use it and that and and as you just rightly pointed out half the issue is people get technology they put it into an organization they don't train people how to use it they really don't train people how to use it right isn't isn't that a massive problem well, i mean if you're asking me it, it's not just a massive problem it's endemic it, it, mm. it, I find it hilarious, really, that we give people tools. You know, uh, Graham, you know my background, um, having spent nearly 20 years in the military all those years ago. And I find it ironic that every time we were given a new piece of equipment, and, and somebody watching this might say, oh, this is not true, Chris, is it? You know, we had proper training on how to use that. Mm. I remember being trained how to put the shoelaces in my boots. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> and then we... <laughs> and then we give people this amazing machine, whether it's one of these, which is, let's face it, is a better computer than we ever had when we were younger, or one of these amazing laptops, and say, here you go, chap, off you go. Mm. And funnily enough, we get it wrong because we don't even know how to plug the things in. I, I know it sounds really daft, and younger people or, or newer people might laugh but because they've grown up endemically with knowing how to use that stuff because they started using it from the age of two. But actually, beyond the sort of 5%, capability of a laptop or a mobile phone we have no idea and as soon as something doesn't go quite right it takes us ages yeah i actually said to someone the other day uh, on on a meeting i said none of you use word properly and and there were loads of people that went yeah i do yeah i do i said right okay so if that's the case how many of you have used this in word uh no how many of you have used this in yeah. And no. So if you take <laughs> if you take a piece of software that is yeah. meant to be universally understood as some, as a tool that that we can use, half yeah. the time when even with software like that, there are tools in there that people could really benefit from and use and make them more productive. But they don't really know how to yeah. use it. Most people, if actually, if you say, even with something like Word, you go, right, what do you, what do, you do in Word? Well, I, I write um, reports or, you know, I, I, yeah. I you know, deal with letters or, yeah. But there's loads of things you can do in Word. And, you know, when you start showing people, because I come from a tech, uh, uh, an assistive tech background as well, when you start showing people, do you know yeah. what? You could actually just press this one button mm. and all of this happens. They're like, oh, but yeah. I spent half the day doing that. It's, it's just exactly. mad. It, it is frustrating, especially as someone's gone to all that trouble to make and design something. They can do all those things. And clearly they've done it because there's a desire or a need. 
and then they don't show you how to yeah. use it. And it's like, so why did you bother? You've got something. There's, there'll be, you know, if you look at something like Word or something, there'll be thousands of people as we speak getting frustrated with typing some sort of Word or Excel or whatever it would be. <laughs> and it probably can do what they want, but they just don't know. And it's like, yeah. oh, that's the missing piece. You've got the demand, <laughs> you've got the supply, but you can't get the two together. You know, what I find fascinating about this is, you know, and again, I, 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 and I don't sort of fall back on my military experience um, too much overtly, but I do find it fascinating to compare the difference. You might think, actually, that when you need to do something repetitively, what we need to do is be really efficient at it, right? Be really good at those basic things. So the big things, the things that use our cognition, we can focus our energies on that. Mm. And so... so if we actually train people at the lowest level, which is what we're talking about, to go and do those things, whether it's adjusting a chair or being able to use Microsoft Word or Teams, or whatever it is, we will become more efficient and effective uh, and better. We feel more well and we'll be more productive. And we seem to forget and we say, well, let's go on a massive training course. We'll send you on, if you're lucky, um, you know, some sort of mystical Excel course or we'll send you on a management course. No, no, no. Can, can you show me how to adjust this chair, please? Can you actually teach me how the, te the things in Teams actually work a little bit better than what I know now? Because, you know, there's a wonderful book. I don't know if you've seen this book by um, uh, 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 Nadal, Pierre Nadal called Indistr Indistractable. It's brilliant, but you should look it up. Um, um, and he talks about, he's basically teaching low-level stuff, how you use technologies and other elements. Oh, he's frozen for a minute. Yeah. Uh, driving a car. He might come back. There we go. If you, ah, I'm here. It's like driving a car, right? You, you, when you learn how to drive the car, then you can go and deal with your environment. And you get taught how to use the car and the indicators and things like that. And without that, we're actually messing around. People say, we want you to be more productive. We want you to be more efficient. Don't send me on a management course. Send me on a course where you all tell me how to tie my shoelaces. And it's not daft. Because if we all know how to do that, then we can learn, oh, now we want a different type of shoelace. It's like we're a so bit silly. too, it's like we're too keen to get past the basics and get to the nice, fancy, fluffy yes. stuff, isn't it? So if you mentioned there an iPhone or something like that, you know the basics of it if you can do the basics you can then build the blocks on top to do the more the, the more advanced things but if you haven't got that basic knowledge you're just sort of you know it's just random as to whether you can actually get that thing to work and you can translate that back to so many different things you're so so right and actually chris you mentioned learning to drive i was rubbish at learning to drive absolutely rubbish i took three attempts to pass my test you you were free yeah best drivers past third time graham what, what about you so wow well, yeah yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. No. look at you but i'll tell you well, yeah but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you were probably dry you were probably driving tanks before we were driving cars look um, <laughs> but uh, here's no yeah, here's it's called, the a, thing, it's called an austin maxi yeah <laughs> right here's the thing though the reason i was rubbish at, at learning to drive and passing my test was because I didn't understand what I was trying to achieve mm. in learning to drive. Mm. I thought, right, my whole experience of driving, because I never paid attention when my mum or dad were driving the car, right? All I was just spending my time looking out the window going, how long till we get there? You know, aren't <laughs> we there yet? 
But my whole experience in terms of thinking about learning to drive was watching Formula One and I there or you know <laughs> or rally racing. And I thought, you know, you you yeah, when you steer, you have to steer a lot and whatever. And and, and so when I got in the car, I oversteered, I you know, I yeah, yeah. I, I I really focused on all of this stuff that was in the car and then and then my mind went to oh i've got to do all of this stuff together this is really really difficult and yeah. it wasn't until the point where and this is true for everyone i think it's not until the point where you actually <clears throat> know about all of that comes together mm. and you don't actually physically think about the driving at all that you start to really learn exactly. to drive. yeah so exactly that we have to we have to take people in anything that they're doing we have to take people past that initial point where there's a there's a cerebral rub in terms of actually knowing how to get get this thing going once they once they feel yeah. comfortable in that environment then we can start to really teach them how to move forward with it but with that that first bit's really hard because they've never done it before. Yeah, I think we seem we seem reluctant to your point, Stephen. We seem reluctant to go back to basics or to revise. Right? How often do we get um, reinforcement training on anything? You know, if we get a little bit of something, we never get it again. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. To to remind ourselves, I'll give you a really good example from, from mm. this week of a project I've been dealing with. If people have been debating among many other topics the the dramas of Mike of sending meeting invites in Microsoft Outlook and if you send a meeting in an Outlook you can't do anything unless the person who initiated the meeting makes a change changes the room changes the, whatever mm. and it wasn't until I had you know a group of 20 or 30 change champions in the room who really getting to know each other you know one of the PAs stood their hand up and said well you you just create a team calendar and a shared calendar and then do all your meeting invites in that and then everyone in that team can amend whatever it is you want whenever and however you like. Because mm. everyone's like, oh, I never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's just, that's a behavioral practice on a piece of technology that already exists that is so basic, but nobody actually asked each other or told each other that. And so everyone was doing it badly. Is it because we're scared? Is it because we're scared? Is it because we think, yeah, if we we're scared to say I don't know the power bit? Yeah, yeah, right. There's an embarrassment That's... factor. There's an embarrassment that someone in a group of 20 people, you're looking around thinking, the other 19 people know how to do this. Yeah. I'm just going to keep quiet because I'm going to look stupid. The yeah. reality is one person knows and the other 19 are desperate for someone to share that bit of information with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I was always the guy in all of my walks of life with my hand in the air. Well, from, from an early age at school and everything else, I was always the one saying, I look, I'm really sorry. I don't understand that. What? And you could see the person would often be like looking at me like, how on earth do you not understand that? And you look around the room and yeah. everyone's going, I don't understand that either. Yeah. <laughs> but he do, was brave Do we need to, to breed a different culture then? Do we need to breed a culture? Do we somehow, do we need to to create that culture where we say to people it's okay to not know you know yeah I it's mean, okay to fail yes totally 
Haven't we got that so wrong, though? And this is a really good example. And Graham, I'm glad you brought that up, right? This is exactly part of the point. It's not necessarily about technology or about your chair or about how to, you know, get a coffee or whatever it is. It's about the permission to act in the way that make it's psychological safety, isn't it? It's trust and psychological safety. Allow me to be able to say, I don't know. And for someone to say, oh, I do. Rather than, you know, you've got a job description now. If you go online and look at a job description, you read a job description. I don't know about you, and I do this quite a lot because it's for, for, for numerous reasons. And you read it, you think, blimey, I could never do that job. And then you get down the bottom, and if the recruiter is brave enough to put how much they're offering, and it says like 23 grand, you're like, I think, I think you've got a bit of a mismatch there between you're asking for someone who's uh, got 100 years of experience and has got a brain like Elon Musk, but they've only just come out of school. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I do some stuff with um, recruitment specialists and they, they will say, you know, you when you look at those job descriptions, you need to kind of ignore half of that because that yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. Right? No, no. You've almost got the you've almost got the challenge that and go, Well, I'm really good at this. I think, you know, maybe I I am what you're looking for, but it's actually more like this than this because you know, and yeah. who writes that stuff? Who writes that stuff? Because it is literally, you'd look at that and go, well, I've never been to Mars. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. And therefore, it's yeah. from day one, it's a constant bluff, isn't it? We, we bluff the fact that we know how to use Microsoft Word. We bluff the fact that we actually know how to adjust a chair. And we bluff the fact that we can do the job because it's all part of the same thing. We all know it's a bit of a, it's not really like that. So we'll just get on with it. Is it, is it sort of just something that's ingrained in us that is that you, you don't want to sort of admit that you don't know something and need some help? And I guess that why it goes into a wider sort of circle of other things. But if something, you know, it, the reluctance to ask, where does that come from? Is it is it is it sort of embarrassment? Is it is it sort of fear of being judged? I wonder where that because ultimately, if it's making your life a lot easier, you'd think we should we we should all be a lot more open to asking. But it's it's quite a common trait, isn't it? Not to ask and just sort yeah. of try and bluff our way through. So what what drives that? What what's the main sort of thing behind that reluctance to sort of seek help and advice? My big ticket answer to that is, you know, one of my mantras is leadership is everything. And, and I genuinely believe that we've grown up for a hundred years in a do as I say, not as I do. I'm at the front, you know, off you go, everyone, you know, I'm going to watch and tell you what to do. And it doesn't work. And it breeds that, breeds that culture of being slightly scared, as opposed to the leaders and managers who are literally there as people, people to help you to do great things. I'm not here to do your job. I'm here to help you do your job that I need you to do. So what do you need? And when you change that, you can call it what you want, servant leadership, whatever you want to call it. But unfortunately, we have leaders and managers who are brilliant at their technical expertise, but quite often they're no good at actually managing people or they don't have the time because they're still doing their operational job. And so, and they were grown up in this era of, you know, me first, you later, but you know, Leaders eat last, right? That's not Simon Sinek who came up with that. You know, they, they should be there to help the worker bees to do better. And I think that is a massive part of why we don't put our hand in the air and say, I don't know, why we don't ask and say, actually, I don't know how to use Microsoft Word properly. Can you help me? 
Yeah. Do you think some of it starts in schools, though? I mean, and, and is Absolutely. that changing? Totally. And is that changing? Yeah. Because, right, that's interesting. Um, because you've got, me, you've you got know, me on a hot topic here, Graham. <laughs> well, be, be, because, you know, I can remember being in the top set at mass in, in middle school. Yeah, I, I was greedy. I had three schools. And so, at, what, around about 12 i was in top set and then i got demoted and i ended up in the third set in maths and my whole attitude to maths changed because i had a teacher that bullied so i had a, a and when i say bully they didn't like you know take me in the corner and, and put cigarette burns in my head or anything but <laughs> they but they did this thing where they, <laughs> would, they would ask <laughs> yeah put my head down the toilet at lunchtime but they did this thing yeah, where they yeah. would they would i can't do mental maths off the top of my head but they would do this thing where they would go around the classroom they pick on you and they would shout at you know a mental maths thing at you yeah and if you couldn't answer it there and then they got angry mm. they got angry with you and you felt and you were made to feel ashamed mm. yeah and it just knocked the self-esteem out of me. And then you become that person where you go, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask. I'm not gonna put my head above the parapet because you know it, yeah. it's easier to just sink in, in over here and actually pretend that I don't know this stuff. Right. And then it becomes a long walk out of that, a long, long walk out of that in any yeah. situation because you've you've then got to feel like 150 percent confident in something before you even then put your hand up to go actually i need to know more mm -hmm. and that's that that is massively damaging and if that's still pervading in schools at all it's problematic because that then carries over into the workplace and then what we have is people in the workplace that are like Dumb. No, I'm, yeah. no, I'll shut up. I'll sit here. I'll wait. My, listen, I, my wife is a secondary school teacher. So I have um, first-hand daily downloads on, on how this is going. And, you know, I've got, I'm quite conflicted by it. One is, you know, I think teachers are amazing for what they have to put up with and what they do. I mean, I'm shocked by the lack of resources uh, and the you know lack of um, money given to schools and the education system in this country, I don't understand how we've got that so wrong. And that is part of the problem because you know, I, and I'm quite sure that my wife is an amazing teacher and she really gives everything. Uh, but there are real troubles, and she and, and it's mm. really difficult. It's blooming hard. And therefore, one side of the coin for me is I forgive all teachers for the dramas they have to put up with. And if they get it wrong sometimes or they're not as great as they can be or they're just exhausted, then I give them all the respect for having doing it in the first place. On the other side of the coin is we should be recruiting great people. And like all businesses, definitely like politics, you know, some of these people are not great. Um, mm. But they're there because it tumbles along and it's local and all the rest of it. That's the same in any industry. Don't get me wrong, I'm not picking yeah. on teachers. But to your point about, you know, these things that start in schools, you know, you and I, we, all of us, we remember the great teachers and it wasn't necessarily in the subject you like the best. No. <laughs> right? Well, and therefore, 
we I also remember one of my teachers his name was Mike Judge and he came in as a DT sort of uh, must have been a technician or something became a teacher later but he'd been in industry for years he was long in a tooth nails south london boy and he had been on the tools he knew how to do stuff now he didn't have the te- he didn't have the you know didn't know the manual the, the education manual but blooming heck did he know his stuff and you could he had examples real life practical examples he knew how to deal with people because he'd been working in south end and he could get across with people so so well and then he came and delivered that in teaching it's a bit like politicians, isn't it? You need people to go into business and learn how to run an economy, run a business. Um, why are schools still wearing ties? What? Yeah. I mean, apart from the, if you want to quote a health and safety hazard, there's a big one. What Most people in the workplace, unless you work in Lloyds of London, are not wearing ties. Mm. So why are we wearing them in schools? Yeah. It's like primary schools. My primary school kids are wearing ties. What? You know, you're they kind of compensate. They they kind of compensate for that, don't they? What they do now, though, I'm going to say this very quickly. What they do is they compensate for that by having more and more non-school uniform days, which they can charge for, so it gives them money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's you know because because the government hasn't given them enough money. So there we go. That's why they're wearing ties so that they can take them off on the days where we pay money to them. So it's uh... it's actually it's interesting what Chris has said there because I know we've touched on this sort of subject before, but and I think when we were talking about the NHS as an example, not per se that you know the frontline workers, but we were saying, is there a lack of people in those type of public sector employments from a commercial background would an element of sort of cross-pollination help you know bringing those people like you mentioned the, the teacher there and bringing people in with different commercial skills into the teaching environment and maybe vice versa as well maybe the people are too much in silos you're either public sector or your private se- se- sector and never the two shall meet but you know what i mean i wonder if that you know maybe a teacher who didn't follow the manual and go through the standard process has got things to bring and can maybe bring it out in other children mm. rather than everyone sort of being absolutely the same taught the same acting the same you need you know, there's there's a requirement out there for all sorts of people. Mm. You know, we don't need a, a world full of lawyers and accountants. We need people from of, of all sort of skill sets to deliver. So do we then need to try and mix the type of people who are teaching to reflect the the output of what we want from, from children? Well, you're in the big D word now, aren't you? I mean diversity and diverse teams. Mm. You know, you know, you know this, you know this theory, right? If you want um, if you want a diverse team, you've got to look at what it is you're trying to achieve and teaching, politics, the NHS, all these things are really important. If you want, uh, if you want a, to take 10 players to the World Snooker Championships, what you want, I don't know who the latest World Snooker Champion is, I, who do I remember, Stephen Hendry and Steve Davis and all that. You know, I want 10 Stephen Hendrys. I want to I want to duplicate Stephen Hendry 10 times. I don't want diversity. I want 10 Stephen Hendrys and we'll win the top 10 Right. But if I've got a football team or a high performing team in FMCG, uh, 10 Stephen Hendrys won't do it because I only need no. one of him. I need nine people who are completely different, who do other things that gel together. And I think we, we get that wrong sometimes. And to your original point about is this a, a problem through schools into the workplace? I think it's wrong that we try to generalize things and try to recruit in our own image. Uh, and therefore, we just perpetuate. Um, things that are not 
are out of date. They're not worthy anymore. Uh, and you might perpetuate the don't stick your hand up and ask that question or do. And people tell you you're a maverick because you keep asking questions uh, or you, you know, you'll fit perfectly into the finance industry because you're nice and calm and you never question anything. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. I mean, one, one of the things I have found, which I'm surprised about as well, but then not surprised about at the same time, is that actually it's quite difficult to get industry knowledge into school now. Mm. Because, and mm. I'll tell you, I'll tell yeah. you what, what I'm going to say about this, because mm. I spoke to somebody uh, who, who works with a local um, college and they said, oh, they were talking to me about what I did. And they said, oh, you, we could really do with you coming and talking to this cohort of students about, about this, because this is, the struggle they had to try and get me in there to talk about it, it it just never happened because it was it was not like the good old days where you could just go so uh let's let's organize a day let's find a, a, a little slot in the curriculum and we're, we're bringing you in nowadays it's like oh yeah. I, don't know, I don't know yeah it's hard to get industry to get involved in education yeah. when that somewhere along the lines we've got that we have got that wrong because i bet there are more people willing in industry to go into education and say look this is actually what it's like you know yeah. this 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 is the reality this is these are the lessons we're learning maybe some of this relates to you here as well and actually we'd also like to learn from you what's what's happening in education what are the changes in education how's that going to impact us when people come out from education into it's it's getting harder in a way because of red tape and whatever to get get together yeah uh, graham I, I agree with you there unfortunately red tape is everywhere we're still living in a bureaucratic world no matter where you, no matter where you um operate and i mm. it goes back to my comment about leadership you don't have to break the rules you have to bend them I, I, again i go back to my experiences and one of my jobs in the military there was a job i never wanted to do right it was called an, an adjutant and an adjutant sort of a no if you know this but it's like a it's like a cross between the boss's right hand man right hand man and the sort of head of hr and head of ops it's a really weird job in the military and it then becomes a chief of staff it's like a mini chief of staff you get a chief mm. of staff later but like a coo i suppose and uh, i never wanted to do this job and i always said no i'll never do that i never want to do that until they offered it to someone else who's one of my peers and i was like, i'm not I, he, I can't have him doing that I, yeah so, so I went and did this job and um, everyone was like that. I can't believe they're giving you the job. And I was like, why? And they're like, what, the scruffy, maverick, oik. Why would they give you the job? You're just going to cause chaos. And what they failed to realise was that I, I was the only one who had read the rule book. I was the only one who knew all the processes and the procedures. And mm. I don't like that stuff, right? I'm not interested, but I'll read it. Mm. And so when I then said, you don't have to do it like that. They're like, no, we do. I said, no, no, you actually don't. I've read the book. And I can bend and manipulate that rule without breaking it because it makes better tactical action. Practically on the ground, we can do that better. But they, but they were then like, well, yeah, but you can't because you're breaking the rules. I'm not breaking the rules. I'm bending the rules. And that's what we need both from school, bend the rules. We need leaders who, will, who are prepared to bend the rules to make good effect and then not be told off, of course, which is tricky. 
And is it is it that we need to bend the rules because otherwise we never move forward? And yeah, effectively. Sorry, what's the classic phrase? You know, if we're all on the same page, no one's available to turn it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. We 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 do. I mean, oh, there you go. The what the word that we quite often hear these days is disruption, and we do need disruptors. But actually, and I had a I had a really interesting. We did a podcast yesterday with a guy that's trying to disrupt in uh, that. The education sector in terms of he's he's developed an app and and actually please listen to the podcast because it's a, it's an amazing story it's his wife's legacy that's paying for this his wife died of breast cancer and uh the money insurance money is has allowed him to do it it was her dying wish <laughs> come in mrs jenkins yeah. <laughs> um it was, it's, it's his, it was his wife's dying wish that he got on and did this um and his he's what he's doing is where you've got anybody that have got behavior issues this app is actually taking it's monitoring those those behavior issues it's actually mm. looking at the data properly and then it's actually training based on the data and what he, he's actually able to show organizations that if you intervene when behavior starts early on, because there's different levels of behavior, if you intervene early on mm. and you train and you make a difference and you show people where their behavior is going and how to do things differently, you don't end up with high level instances of bad behavior. And he, he's showing that data to people. And yet it was a fascinating conversation because he said some organizations are getting that, but they're having to bend the rules a little bit. Mm. And other organisations are getting it, but they're then going, but I'm going to ignore it, I'm afraid, because we need to follow the rules. <laughs> yeah. Right? Even though it could yeah. be the better outcome. And I said, and, and yeah. the only conclusion I had to, to give him in the end is, the only way in the end that you can really make a massive change with this is to take it right to the top. And some, do you feel that's the case as well sometimes, Chris? Actually, the only way that we can sometimes make absolute change is we have to find the leader right at the top of the pile and actually get them to realise that everybody else is looking up at them and we have, to, we, have to, we have to get to the person that's right at the top and change it because otherwise it's just not going to disseminate down. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean... Uh, Back to my mantra, leadership is everything. Getting to the top, whether it's a headmaster or the CEO, whoever it is, is very, very difficult. Um, and when you can get there, the interesting thing is they're very, very receptive. They get all this stuff. They didn't get into that position and not understand that. The challenge is, how do you, um, how do you work with them? How do you facilitate the changes from them down? And it's the level down. I remember coming out, I was working in Oman a few years ago. And I came out, it was a big oil company. I came out of the CEO's office, fabulous conversation. Uh, I came out of this office and the CEO was brilliant. He was explaining all this stuff. We're going to do this and you're here to help us do that. And I walked out of the office and he shut the door and his senior leadership team grabbed me and said, Chris, whatever he said, we're not doing that. <laughs> I was like, okay. Okay. You know, and, and two years ago, I was in another CEO's office here in, here in the UK 
brilliant woman and a very similar story you know whilst it wasn't quite so overt it was subversive uh, a couple of people mm -hmm. definitely trying to undermine what she was seeking to achieve and i know she's on top of it now and brilliant good on her but people very worried about changing upsetting the apple cart and doing something yeah. differently because they're quite content with their corner office and their title and their car and their pension blah blah uh, and they're really they're really really worried to disrupt something and do something in a different way even though they might have one-to-one -to -one with you and say i know that's the right thing to do mm. but i'm too scared to change and does that come back to come back to sort of we, we spoke originally about like fear and resistance is the fact that actually they want to protect what they've got and if you go in there and they do what you've you've talked to them about it's going to come back on me <laughs> and therefore don't change anything don't rot the boat just keep it is and that's and, and things don't don't progress because there's still that resistance to change isn't there uh there's a lovely book written by a lady called judith garmain you should look her up she's fabulous and she runs something called the maverick paradox uh and she talks about the maverick and i'd have to paraphrase it because i can't exactly remember but she talks about mavericks which is basically people who want to not break but bend the rules and that people want to bring people like me or you into a company or into an organization or into a school to change things but when you do they all hate you yeah yeah and it's true mm. it's yeah. true i mean Stephen, you must even find that let's let's go back down to sort of like every day as you go out you must mm. find that where you're going you'll demonstrate that you could do stuff better in terms of providing education making people aware of their well-being from a you know from a more holistic angle yeah. here's solutions that could be put into place or whatever and then and then the organization goes yeah but that's no that's great now yeah we do know that all exists now but i think we'll stick to like doing a tick box and you know and and whilst it's a tick box and it's not a conversation so it's a it's literally a reaction to mm. something which is you know some kind of official document then you don't really ever know what the problems are that people have at no. the cult base what you do it what you know is their response on a piece of paper or their response on a computer screen and i remember at university studying something called q methodology i don't know whether you've ever looked at that Chris, but it, it's a fascinating part of psychology, which looks at not what people are doing uh, in terms of answering, but why are they answering in that way? Mm. Yeah. So when you've got a when you've got a semantic differential scale, and and that, that those magazines, you know, those ladies' magazines that used to, your mum used to read when you were a kid, and they used to sit there and they do all of those semantic differential scales, where it's like, on a scale of one to ten, would you rate your uh, this oh, yeah. in your life? Or <laughs> da, la, 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 right? But we still do sort of semantic differential scales with everything in the workplace or whatever, and we go on, you know, on a scale of one to ten, how are you feeling today? And people yeah. will go. <clears throat> And then they look at their neighbour and go, what, what did you put? Oh, fine. Yeah. I, I, I put five as well. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. The interesting thing is not what you're putting down. It's not whether you're putting five. It's why are you putting five? Yeah. Right? Because if you can start to understand why people are giving those responses, then you can start picking holes in the culture that is in 
that's making them answer in those ways. And then you can go, actually, they're all picking that because they all want to be the same as their mates. Or they're all picking that mm. because, you know, there's, yeah, there's a sheep mentality. There's a herd mentality here or whatever going on. Or they're all picking that because they don't, they don't want to upset their line manager. And once you understand mm. that, then you can start dealing with it. You can't start dealing with it. if. And so two things. One, we have to change the culture. Two, we have to change the processes because we need to have processes in place if we're measuring anything, which actually question. Mm. If they don't actually, and, and they question their own, the process in itself, because if they don't question the process, then actually all we do is we yeah. get all of that data together and we go, we've done that now, thanks. Boom. And you can lock it in the box and it doesn't really matter. So yeah, okay. that was a long, long-winded yeah. way to get. What, to what was the question, the question again? Can you can you repeat the question? Is that what you <laughs> is is that what you see when you go out? I I think there I think it's certainly improving if you look from an ergonomics perspective, but I still think Good. there is a, a lot of box ticking. I think there is a case of we need to. Lots of companies are talking about it. We seem we we need to appear to be doing the same. We'll go through that process and we'll tick a box. And a bit like what Chris said, someone will commit to something, but nothing happens. And I still think there is an element of that. I think from, you know, I think we are getting better to recognize as, as, a, as an industry or, or, or companies are, are recognizing that an industry like ours has a lot to add. And it isn't just a case of just doing it. There is some benefit from it, but it, there is still an element of, yeah, we've done that tick, move on. We're not going to change anything. But, you know, slowly, slowly. So, it's quite, that's <clears throat> you just sparked a thought in my mind there, Stephen. Mm -hmm. That is that we can bring expertise in every field into the into the office or into the school, whatever it is. But from our point of view, the translation of those things into user experience mm -hmm. is often missing. Who was it? I think it, I can't remember who it was. Graham, you and Guy. You know, we talked about a lot of the work we do is in the grey space. You know, I can't put it in a proposal. It's quite hard to, you know, joining the dots between things because that's the skill I have that I see the big picture and I can join things up. And there's lots of people who can do this and lots of people who can't because they're specialists and that's absolutely fine. Um, but joining that gray space so that you get a better outcome so it's not just a tick box exercise is actually a skill in itself. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, I go, go back to your ergonomics point. You know, great, I can then. Um, I can procure this chair that I'm sat on now. Uh, I won't tell you the manufacturer. It's a brilliant chair. Uh, and, and the exact same chair comes with two different seat post um, uh, formats. One Quite is adjusted. a standard, yep. cost X. Yeah. Correct. One is a standard at cost X. And one is also a standard, but a different standard that goes a little bit lower and a lot higher at cost Y. And so you only buy the cost X one because that's the manufactured mainstream. That's the one that's ever so slightly cheaper. So you don't buy the other one until you do. And you buy the, all the cost X models. And then everyone over six foot two says, well, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't go high enough. Yeah. So you've bought beautiful monitor arms, a beautiful sit to stand desk and these beautiful chairs, but it doesn't work for me. Then no one over six foot two can actually sit properly. And when you then point that out, they go, no, 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 no we've sorted that. No, but you haven't, have you? You just tick the box that says you've got that chair, but you didn't get the right one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll get a special chair for that person. <laughs> because people, nobody joined the dots. And, you, and then when, but when you point it out, they don't want you to, to no. they don't want to do something different. 
they just no, want to take very, the box. Done that. I've got that. And and what and sometimes then what happens is they actually find. Well, that what actually what's really interesting is when on the ground, and you must see this, Stephen. Mm. When on the ground, people devise their own solutions. Yeah, because nobody's doing it for them. And people people move into the realms of ingenuity. How many times have you been to some to see someone with uh, uh, one of your products, mm. and they've kind of got a version of that that they put yeah. together themselves? Yeah. Because nobody's been nobody's been bothered to to try and sort this out for them. So they've tried to. They tried to make it themselves. Yeah, because we're I quite good someone, at that. Yeah, yeah. I saw someone who'd um, whose screen wasn't at the right height, and rather than being being given the right piece of equipment, be it an arm or be it bit of a riser, they took like a little small filing drawer and plunked it on their desk, and then put their laptop on top. So it was doing the job. It had got the screen at the right height, but you looked and thought, great ingenuity. But it's not really the right thing because equally, when someone who's of a different height sits there, it's potentially going to cause a problem and, and exasperate or, or exaggerate another problem. It creates another problem further down the line. But they've got the ingenuity to go. I need to address that problem. I'm going to do it. Yeah, but it yeah. it it always amazes me that that people that are around other people don't mm. see what people are doing. And think, why are they doing those things? Mm. And that's that's a, a thing I think we have to develop, especially if we're in leadership, is eyes to look at yeah. situations and 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 human behaviour and go, why are they doing that? Mm. Isn't there a reason that they're doing that? So that but doesn't this doesn't this know, take this, us back to what we said at the very start? We said at the start about the is people asking questions, didn't we? And people being a bit afraid to sort of stick their hand up, and 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 that's what you need. You need more people yeah. to do that, more people to question and ask, gain knowledge, and develop. Yeah. But even if they're not asking the questions, you can have leaders that look and see, and that's that's. Oh, you see, you're kind of hitting the nail on the head there. Here we aren't we? Unfortunately, many leaders, and it's not all, but many leaders are not leading. Mm. They're in charge, but you know, leaders set the tone, they set vision, they inspire, they come up with ideas. You know, managers get processes working, right? Mm. Actually, we need leaders to. Oh, who was it? Was it John Adair, one of those massive great people? You know, he was often questioned why he sat in his great big corner office overlooking Manhattan or wherever it was, doing nothing. And he retorted, you know, very harshly and his incredibly. I, I can't remember who it was. That I'm not doing nothing. I'm thinking. And he spent a lot of his time just thinking things through, observing, like you said, Stephen, working it out, what, how to join the dots, and then coming to a conclusion, then going out, testing it, and doing something different, rather than just running frantically from one thing to another, which is not leadership. Yeah. That's just being in charge. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating talk today. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks really for coming good. on. There you go. Oh, we cover everything we on the questions. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. Lost it, don't we? Um, next week, we'll be back uh, looking at what this industry can do uh, to, to give back yet again. Um, and we'll have more of a conversation about that. But thank you so much for joining us. And 
you know, hopefully challenging people to think a little bit more about how you lead out there. Uh, and, and maybe think about if you're trying to work with an organisation in terms of ergonomic solutions or anything like that, think about why there's kind of rub against what you're trying to put out there, right? Think about trying to walk a little bit more with the organisation and the leaders within that organisation and just see why yeah. the conversations aren't flowing in the way that you think the, the conversation's going. I think we we too often go in with our own narrative rather than under trying to understand everybody else's narrative as we walk. We don't listen. And that's and and yeah, and then nobody's gonna listen. And all you all you do is go and butt heads. Nothing nothing moves forward, which is a load of rubbish. Uh until next week, thank you uh to uh, everyone for taking part. Um you have me at Woof, which uh is, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because I heard the dog barking in the background. Yeah. And that's that's always a kindly thing. Take care, folks. Have a good week. Uh, if you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with uh, your friends, your family, um, people at work, and and dogs, because they like it too. Bye for now. See you next week. Bye, everyone.